This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. The coronavirus has come to Michigan and has turned our way of life upside down. We are challenged, confused, and confronted by its obscurity, potency, and resilience. Perhaps the greatest worry is founded in the unknown. We are ignorant of its true nature and beginnings, yet we are bombarded by the news of its presence at every turn. There is no escape. There is nowhere to go. And worse of all, there is nothing to do. COVID-19 multiplies the shortcomings of our society. It reveals our own character. And worse, it cripples our sense of hope, freedom, and trust. Coronavirus has revealed the shortcomings about our nation and ourselves. It has shown to us our lack of preparedness, our lack of understanding, and again, our lack of trust. Yet, coronavirus is also revealing the best in us. This is the purpose of all things bad, all things evil. They challenge us to develop qualities and characteristics otherwise never would. It teaches us to give of ourselves to be unselfish. It teaches us to support and appreciate one another. It teaches us to care, especially about our neighbors. It teaches us to do even when we're fearful. Things that are bad, even this virus, can be used for our good. It can propel us to get better, do better, and be better. But the choice is ours. You see, the presence of evil only offers us a choice, and the existence of good will never rob us of our responsibility to make that choice. I am confident we will all remember this virus. We will remember these days. We will not forget this experience. The question is, what memories will we make now to be remembered later? I will remember how this virus pushed our network to double our output for a month in only two weeks so that when schools close, kids could be fed. I will remember how this virus, when it arrived, caused us to push aside disagreements in order to serve the communities of our state together. I will remember what it feels like to be overwhelmed by the scope of this challenge and look around and know that the seven CEOs of our food banks across the state and our teams are going without sleep, thinking hard about how to meet the challenge and stepping out on faith that the resources of food and funds will be there when we need them. COVID-19 will soon die, but who we become because of it, I pray, will live in us for a long time. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, this is a little bit of a unique uh, show today, not only because it's going to be about COVID-19 and the pandemic, 
And by the way, I'm looking at you on a, a Zoom call right here while we're recording with uh, our esteemed producer, Mark Blackwell, who's in the WJR studio. I'm at home, but we're getting it done anyway. And just like all of our work, we've had to be adaptive. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know what we're going to learn about recording not together in the studio, but uh, based on your monologue, I'm guessing it's going to make us better, whatever it is. So I'm, I'm going to hope that you're right and that these challenges are going to make us even better. So, uh, so glad to be on the phone with you, Doctor. I mean, what our, what our listeners don't realize is that we are on the phone together for uh, multiple hours pretty much every day. And that's right. with, with, between us, between our, our fellow uh, food bankers and really food bankers from across the country, as we all try to figure out, okay, what role is the community going to ask us to play? Um, that's, a, that's changing almost on a uh, certainly daily basis, maybe sometimes even on an hourly basis as the federal government and the state government continue to implement plans that we are trying to align with to the best of our ability. And, of course, the first part of that was the closing of the schools in our state once the state of emergency was declared. Exactly. Well, we've we've come to the place where we're really thinking about this COVID-19 pandemic um, as it shakes out in three different waves. And I want us to talk about those waves today, Jerry, and the role that, as you said, the community, the state of Michigan, uh, the federal government is asking the Food Bank Council and all of our members to play in meeting the need in the community And uh, so, as you said, wave one was really when the decision was made, and it was the right decision, by the way, um, to close the schools and really try to flatten the curve regarding the spread of the coronavirus, and specifically this coronavirus, COVID-19. And so um, what that means to uh, many of the families that our network comes alongside of and, and works with is that kids who particularly are vulnerable for food insecurity because they're getting free and reduced breakfast and lunch at school now no longer have that opportunity except for the Michigan Department of Education, the Office of Health and Nutrition Services led by Dr. Diane Gozinski, have really stepped up and asked the school districts to do the same. And the school districts have. I mean, one of the most important things the school districts did just to at least relieve the immediate panic that families might feel as their kids are not getting those meals in school is to say, we're going to keep providing meals. They're going to be available on a grab-and-go basis. And most schools have put in some kind of a plan so that at the very least, Families that have no food in the cupboard have someplace they can go for their kids to get breakfast and lunch every day. And by the way, MDE, the Michigan Department of Education, does have a website um, that we should probably put with this podcast when it's available. So if people want to look at where the schools are near them that have these programs, they can look at that website and just see here's where they are. But, uh, but all that to say, that, was, that, was, that happened very quickly. At the same time, the food banks started to put together our um, additional mobile food distributions at a, uh, a number of schools in every school district so that 
families who were particularly hard hit would have additional food resources as quickly as possible. So, you know, it takes some planning to do that. You've got to talk to new locations maybe that you've never worked with before. You've got to it, educate people. How does, a, how does a mobile distribution work? You've got to have, you know, the right, uh, you know, processes in place so people can stay in their car and there's zero exposure to the families when they get the food as far as from other people who are involved. Um, you know, lots of things to think through under the circumstances, some of which we've never had to think through before. Right, right. Well, I, I think that um, this is the challenge that, you know, we're pretty blessed to live on a peninsula, <laughs> which really is what the lower part of Michigan is, um, our, our hands, so to speak. Um, you know, and, and we're surrounded pretty much by water, and so... Uh, just people traveling. You you really come to Michigan. You don't go through Michigan. And so, you know, where some of the lower states, Ohio, Indiana, people uh, uh, that are south of us, people are traveling through there, and that heightens the opportunity, so to speak, for COVID-19 to be spread. But, you know, this wave one of the, as, as we're talking about it, is the kids and their families at school, our partnership with the Michigan Department of Education and the Office of Health and Nutrition Services, as I mentioned, is where emergency food flows through uh, when we're not in crisis. And so we've been able, they're our partners, we've been able to step up this partnership and as you said, we've had to enact some different distribution models uh, than what we're normally doing. But, Jerry, something that really get, can, can get lost in this conversation is you've had, you and all the food banks have had to enact some safety protocols for you and for your teams because, I mean, if this thing takes root inside of a food bank, God forbid, it really slows, if not stops, the work that we're trying to do to fill the gaps across the community. So could you talk a little bit about what you guys have been able to do across the network? Yeah, so I, I think probably the place to start that conversation is until there is a way to test everybody, we're all doing the best we can to limit the amount of exposure that we have, right? Until there's a way to test everybody, you just don't know who might have it. And so thus a lot of the activities of the state plan thus far have been to limit the, the exposure of people to each other in that unknown area where testing is not happening. So here's right. some things that we can do, right? First of all, we can make sure that we keep six-foot distances on every single project that we do. And we do that by letting people work from home who can work from home. We do that by changing the, the way our volunteer lines actually run. When we're putting emergency food boxes together, we have hand sanitizer out. We're teaching everyone that comes in our building how to wash their hands properly. We're... we're we're um, making sure that our own staff is working in shifts so not any one part of the staff gets exposed all at once to, um, 
you know, the, the virus so that if some people have to be quarantined, there's a whole nother shift of people that can work. So, you know, these are all of the, well, not all of them, but many of the things that we're doing to make sure we're protecting our staff. We're limiting the number of volunteers. We use a lot of volunteers, but at this point in time, we actually have to try to use less volunteers, both for the safety of the volunteers and to reduce the exposure of our team. So all of those are things that we have put in place to try to um, make sure that our team is safe and we're not spreading um, the exposure out to other people in the community. Right. Well, I think that's so important that we, that we do that um, in order to, you know, do our part to just uh, ensure that we're keeping the safety protocols, but at the same time meeting the need in the uh, across the community. Look, Jerry and I are going to be right back to talk more about our response to COVID-19. Thanks for listening, everyone. Come back and be with us in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. This is Dr. Phil Knight with Jerry Brisson. We're recording from Jerry's in his office at Gleaners Community Food Bank. I'm in my home office. And uh, Mark Blackwell, is our, our producer, is at the WJR studio, and we're kind of looking at each other on Zoom and talking to each other on the phone. But we wanted to make sure and get this show out to you because it's so timely and so important. And we're talking about the Food Bank Council, our network of seven food banks that serve all of Michigan's counties uh, and our response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we talked about wave one a little bit, Jerry, and some of the uh, challenges before we move on to wave two and who that we think those people and those those people groups are going to be is we've had some challenges. I don't know if you've been to the grocery store yourself lately, but I went on Sunday morning and uh, not one potato and not, and not one onion there. And um, you know, so if you go to that situation, we're not used to dealing with that in our first world country, blessed as it is uh, of America. And so I think people could have some anxiety and, rumors start and what about the food chain are we running out of food and that's it that's not the case at all but i think you've had some similar experiences and even how some of that is affecting the work of the food banks across the state yeah i mean so for for uh i think the first time that i've had to manage a crisis at the same time we have to manage what i'm going to call an overwhelming sense of community anxiety related to, you know, what's going to happen to me in my house. I mean, there's a lot of people wanting to help us, and that's wonderful, and we're getting a, a lot of support. At the same time, you know, people are going into the store and feeling like they got to fill up their grocery cart with with canned fruits and vegetables and and as many things as they can bring home out of this fear that somehow they won't be able to get to the store or that their groceries are somehow going to be disrupted. And again, a lot of that is pure 
fear behavior. It is not logical. It is not based on the facts of what's happening in the world. It is really based on people's own fear of what they think might happen. So one of the things I think it's really important to say is, at this point, at least, and for the foreseeable future that we can see, grocery stores are going to be open. Even in countries where they're locking everything down, the grocery store is still open. There's food still in it. The, the growers are growing food. The manufacturers are producing food. And there is no sign right now that there is any risk of running out of food in this country, in any community, besides the risk that we face every day, which is, you know, low or or not or no wages at all in households, a health issue to manage, you know, people that run out of money and can't afford groceries. That I mean, that's who we help all the time. So we don't right. anticipate that that you know the community in general is going to be all of a sudden out of food we don't see that happening at all we have close relationships with every food uh retailer and many many food manufacturers they are all up and running so so with that as a fundamental message some of the things we're seeing even as we do our distributions is people coming up and saying can i have more out of that same fear that we're that we're seeing in the general community that that you know there's there's this sense of oh my gosh I better get it now while I can so right. so that's odd you know it's a very odd thing to deal with I can't imagine what we do if we had toilet paper handing out I mean <laughs> yeah you know, I I I, right. I I think we'd have a riot on our hands right right God forbid. Well, I was on a call yesterday, um, this week, with uh, MDARD, the Michigan Department of Rural Development and Agriculture. So this department is led by uh, Director Gary McDowell, who has been a a frequent guest on our show because of the challenges that we face in the uh, agricultural community, particularly as it relates to weather over the last year. And uh, Director McDowell hosted this um, this uh, uh, webinar, this uh, conference call yesterday, and uh, it was very insightful. And everything you just said is what was said on that call. And that that the supply chain is is solid, it's there, and so we don't really have to hoard. No one has to do that. Just go buy what you normally would buy, and maybe a little more just so you don't have to go back as frequently because of the other safety protocols. So I think the real challenge here is that we're learning how to think, and when that's causing us to think different in the face of this crisis. So we can do better, we can be better, and we're going to be. So let's just, just everybody, let's grab a breath, let's take a breath, and uh, and we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to get through this. Um, as the great think- philosopher said. This too shall pass. I think there's also something to learn about ourselves here. We are in a community that relies on our own abilities before we rely on the abilities of others. And it's part of how we develop our judgments, and it's part of how we develop shame around ever needing help at all. And and. I think part of what we're seeing is people saying, I'm going to have to have all the fruits and vegetables at my house because I don't want to have to depend on anyone else. I don't want to have to risk 
trusting that the community is going to be there for me. And one of the most important things I want to say on this show today is the community is there for us all. We are a community that rises to the challenge. We are a community that is going to help each other where help is needed. And I, I, one of the ways I hope people can, can get a sense of calm instilled in their soul is to know without question people care and are here, and not just food banks. I'm talking about grocers. I'm talking about people that run car dealerships. I'm talking about people who wash windows. I'm talking about, you know, people you see in restaurants. All of these people, by and large, are good people who care about each other, who want to make the world a better place. This is one of the things we get to see in food banks more than most people. And so I just want to share that on a really deeply personal level to everyone that's listening. People care, and we are going to rise and conquer this together. That's beautifully said, Jerry. Thanks for saying that. And I I think that, I don't know what the time is, but I think that it's probably, this is the appropriate time after that beautiful uh, sentiment that you shared. We're going to take a break. Jerry and I are back. We're back to talk about COVID-19 and our response to this virus that's affecting our community in just a few minutes. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and uh, we're discussing the Food Bank Council and our members' response to COVID-19 on the show today, and we've shared with you some information about how we're thinking about this, some of the challenges we're facing, and um, Jerry, we've talked about wave one of, of, of the people that we focused on to serve, and that's been the school children and their families. So that's, that's really everybody 18 years and younger, plus their families, even 26 years of age and younger, if they have a disability of some sort, we're able to come alongside of them, along with our partners at the Michigan Department of Education. And and that's been, I think, profoundly successful here in the first few days and weeks. And I think across the board, a lot of our food banks are really doubling uh, their capacity over what on the outputs of food that they normally would do in a month they're doing twice as much. In fact, the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan this week um, delivered uh, one week's worth of breakfast and lunch on Monday. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, well, in one day, that's exactly right. You know, so, I mean, I'm just so proud of this network and what they're doing and how they come along, these, uh, the schools, the school districts, and more importantly, the students and their families. Well, well and you I... You and I... Go ahead. Yep, I just want to say it's it's worth saying right at this point that what's enabling a lot of us to do this is the Michigan Department of Education helping to use some of the money that's available to feed kids during the school day to cover some of the costs of these efforts. And, you know, that the there has been a, a, a tremendous 
effort on the part of the state and federal government to free up resources that they've already budgeted. So they're not adding to the federal budget. They're actually taking money that's already been budgeted to feed kids and just diverting it to other channels so that those kids can still get food. And and that has been a tremendous help and and a huge reason why we've been able to do so much in such a short period of time. I, I also want to say the, the, the donors to the food banks, the, the corporate donors, the individual donors, um, they have really been coming to our aid and saying, tell us what we can do to help right now. And of course, that also frees up additional funds to, to cover the cost of reaching the community when the community needs us most. So I just want to say it's a good time to remind our listeners that without that show of support, it'd be a lot more difficult to really rally the way we've been able to rally to get to people that need us. Well, I think it's important for everyone to understand that all of the food that was in all of the food bank warehouses prior to uh, the 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 schools closing down, for example, is kind of a, a start point, was going someplace. It was already destined for hungry people in uh, another in some community here in Michigan. So it's not like everybody has food sitting in their warehouse with no destination. It's, it was already going someplace. And right. so we've had to ramp up those efforts and, you know, to be candid, that takes some that takes money to do that and we've dipped into our cash reserves to be able to mount this uh to this challenge and and we've done that and i'm happy to say that as you said some of the corporate sponsors and i'm going to give a shout out to carolyn bloodworth at consumers energy that has come alongside the food bank council and all of our food banks across the state one of the they were a first responder so to speak in the in the understanding the need for more um, uh, cash and more cash flow. But also, you know, I have to say that that the team under Governor Whitmer has reached out to me at the Food Bank Council and asked for our startup budgets, and that request has been submitted. And I understand that that's at the uh, state budget office as we speak, and we're hoping it gets out of the state budget office really soon, gets to the Food Bank Council so we can distribute those funds to our food banks across the net. So you're right, people are stepping up and we need them to. And one of the first people we heard from here at Gleaners was the Farm Bureau of Michigan Agents Fund. They were one of the first people that said, hey, we know you guys are going to need help. Here's something to help you out. I mean, and so, you know, there's there's so many examples now um, of of people who are stepping up that, you know, we could probably spend two uh, segments just thanking the people who've been able to help. So uh, the the main point of this is as we talk about what the food banks have been able to do and are going to aim to do as this continues – is that it's a it's a mix of work, uh, both from the food distribution side, but also from the resource management and revenue side. And you know nobody you, you know pe- nobody likes to think about that side as much as they like to think about the other side. But we have to be thinking about it, and so we're going to let people know what we need so we can be effective. Well, I think you sent out some nice pictures. We've gotten a lot of great tags from our food banks across the state of the work that's going on and how. Uh, we've been able to to come alongside our communities, uh, but those pictures don't happen without food and funds. It's that simple. 
Yes, indeed. So, yes, indeed. So, Jerry, let's talk a little bit about what we anticipate to be wave two. Wave two, and that to me is a group of people who are not used to ne having to negotiate the emergency food system. People who normally are uh, able to, to fend for themselves, so to speak, um, that are affected by the decisions we've had to make to flatten the curve. And that would be even senior citizens who are not able to get out and go, and they're the most susceptible um, uh, generation in this virus protocol. But then there's also the folks that are like the gig worker, folks that are you know, uh, contracted workers, you know, first you think about Uber and Lyft drivers, but also a lot of companies have contract people in their employment. And then there's the folks that are in the service industry in our restaurants and bars and those uh, type of places. And then there's employees that are part of the small business community. They might not be the owner, but they work in a small business. And I think we're, we're starting to think about how do we come alongside of a group that's normally coming alongside of us to, to donate and give of their, their time and, and of their, their treasure. Yeah. So when we start thinking about this, and I, and I want to put some numbers on the table because that's certainly how we have to think. Uh, in 2011, in the, in the height of the Great Recession, in the five counties that Gleaners serves, there were 850,000, give or take, food insecure people, individuals, 850,000. That includes everyone from zero to 100 years old, right? Now, in 2020, that number hadn't gone down to 600,000, give or take, right? So, so literally 250,000 fewer people were food insecure at the beginning of 2020, as we saw in 2011. Well, as we see the economic data coming through, we know that we are at a point where we've got to be thinking about, well, what could we be having a recession? How long would that last? What is the impact on the economy going to be? And we're not, you know, hair on fire type people. We are people who are very sober about what it is we have to do. We have a lot of leading indicators that we look at to try to figure out, is this a time where we're going to have to just in general step up for the community for a period of time, and it's certainly looking that way. Now, one of the most important things that has to happen in the next week or so, and it really should be soon, is the federal government and the state government have to align their planning so that we can really address this as a multifaceted problem. This isn't one problem. This is going to be a multitude of different issues for different people depending on where they are in the economy and depending on what businesses stay open, which businesses close, how long they're going to be open or shut. And, and we've got to really be careful not to think any one solution is going to be the answer. So without getting into a really long monologue about that, I would just simply <laughs> say this. The food banks have an important role to play. One of the most important roles that we play in times like this is to fill in the cracks, to fill in between the other systems that are going to come into play. And whatever the federal government does, if they provide more help, not everyone is going to get that help immediately. And those people are going to need food banks. As, as we look at what the state has to do next and, and – 
both in response to and in coordination with whatever the federal government does, people will be in between the cracks. And food banks really step in those places very effectively. It's something we have always done. So I would expect that we will see food banks, at least in these initial weeks, be increasingly more important as even the plans are announced. Right. I, 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 can, um, I can see all of that happening, and I appreciate your explanation of that. Hey, let's take a quick break, um, let WJR pay a few bills, and uh, Jerry and I are back to talk about COVID-19 and the food bank's response to this uh, crisis across our state. We're back in just a moment. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. And uh, Jerry's on the phone in his office, and I'm on the phone in my office here. And uh, Mark's on the uh, phone in the WJR's tower, the, the Golden Tower. And we're excited to be with you today under these very unique circumstances and challenging days as COVID-19 has made its, uh, its grand entrance into our state and uh, as I said, Jerry, in the monologue, I, I'm I'm concerned about it, but I'm I'm also I also see the opportunities for us as a state, our communities, uh, to really come together and seize the opportunity to work on this thing together. Well, for sure, and um, and there are a lot of people when you talk about coming together that are reaching out and asking us. Is there more they can do? And, and a lot of people want to continue to volunteer or find ways to be helpful. And, and that's wonderful. You know what? Any notes of encouragement that we get are well-received. My team is working hard day and night, really, um, to, to stay on top of all the things that we know we need to do, and we're happy to do it. That's why we're here. But, the, um, but one thing I would say Really about- all across the state that's happening, right? Yeah, absolutely. As you, as you right. talk to your other CEOs across the state, you just you hear that. You know, I mean, honestly, be candidly, you hear a little tiredness in their voice, but you also hear an energy. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you you know, you're important if you're not if you're paying any attention at all. You know that what you're doing is important, and so it does make you feel good when you get up in the morning. Uh, it doesn't make you feel good when you're crashing into bed at night. So uh, that right. takes a little sleep to, to to cure. But but all that to say, um, you know, I, I, one of the things I would encourage people to do if they really want to make a difference right now is call people who they know are isolated. Call, you know, call your parents. Call seniors that you're friends with. You know, call people who are immune compromised, who really have to watch everywhere they go, and just ask people how they're doing. I mean, it, it may seem like a simple thing, but that gesture is so meaningful to people right now. Let people know you're thinking about them and, and that you really care about what's happening to them um, because it matters, you know, and, and, and this is going to last a while. When we talk about these waves, we're not talking about it to make people nervous. We're being sober about what we think is going to happen in, in, in our state and in our communities across the state. And so we know that the, the, uh, the unemployment or the lower employment is going to create a wave of need. We know there's going to be a ripple effect to that. We know that the, the virus itself is going to create a wave of need. Health 
care is one of the biggest reasons why people run out of money. And so any health care problem is, is something we've got to look at very carefully from the standpoint of what happens to the people we serve. So while this is all happening and we can't be quite sure of how long or how many people it will affect, call the people you know and care about and tell them you're thinking about them. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great. It's about, you know, uh, a community coming together. I think a friend is often defined as a, as a person who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. And what we need to do is make sure we're walking in. And uh, so I, I appreciate your thoughts today, Jerry. It's been a very unusual show for us. You're on the phone in your office. I'm on the phone in mine. And Mark's uh, is the uh, producer is on the phone in at WJR. And but we wanted to make sure and come together so people would understand we're working with Wave 1, which is the children and, and their families in school, that we're working with Wave 2, some of the people who are not used. And Wave 3, we really see this tied a lot to the automobile industry, the companies that support that industry, as well as the companies, the big three themselves. But we're going to do everything we can to come alongside of them during these days. I think it's time for a little food for thought. And so here we are doing our radio show, talking about a pandemic that is brutal. Yet it is doing things for and in us that otherwise could never happen. The food banks that make up the Food Bank Council of Michigan, Gleaners Community Food Bank, Forgotten Harvest, Greater Lansing Food Bank, Food Gatherers, Food Bank of Eastern Michigan, Feeding America West Michigan, and the South Michigan Food Bank, are hoping, trusting, and working. Hoping for the virus to end, trusting each other and others to help, and working harder than ever before to make sure people have enough food for their families during these challenging days. Most of the time, we need your time, talent, and treasure. Today, we simply need your treasure. Please, Donate to the food bank in your area, and we will take an IOU on your talent and time. In the meantime, this crisis only emphasizes what we know to be true every week on this show. It's food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.